Good news. My new book is finally here. It's called Handbook for the Heartbroken, A Woman's Path from Devastation to Rebirth, and you can order it now wherever books are sold. I wrote this book after the five-year span between 2016 and 2020 when I experienced serial heartbreaks that rocked literally every area of my life, my health, relationships, money, career, social status, and even my very sense of self. And along the way, I really got to experience firsthand how dysfunctional our culture's relationship is to loss. I saw how we live in a heartbreak illiterate world that's obsessed with success and shackled with isolation and ignorant of how valuable our suffering can be for our growth and our evolution not only as individuals, but also as a collective. So this book expands the conversation around loss beyond just breakups and bereavement, although we definitely cover those too, in order to include falls from grace of all kinds, personal, professional, and collective. So whether you're experiencing hardship now, or know you have past hurts that are holding you back in certain ways and still need healing, this book is here to support you. It's also a great book to gift to clients, family members, friends, just other women in your world who are going through a challenging time. It will show you that it's only through fully turning toward your heartbreak with support, courage, and compassion that you can heal. So within the loving pages of this book, you will have full permission to fall apart and slowly, organically find your way back to greater wholeness. I'm truly excited to share this with you. It was not a joy to live this journey, but it really was a joy to write it. And you can find it again, wherever books are sold and the audio version of the book is available as well. If you would like some gifts to accompany you on your heartbreak journey, you can get those at handbookfortheheartbroken.com. Those are free. Whenever you order books, you can just send in your invoice or your receipt and we'll send you those accompanying gifts. Enjoy. Hello, welcome to the Sarah Avon Stover podcast, a space to come home to your inner wisdom. I'm Sarah, best-selling author and teacher of women's yoga, meditation, and spirituality. And this podcast was born out of my own desire to hear Dharma talks, which are what the Buddhist tradition calls wisdom teachings, through the distinct lens and voice of the sacred feminine. Here, I'll share these very talks, along with rich conversations about all different facets of the feminine spiritual journey. But above all, I created this because I believe that when a woman gets still and quiet enough to hear her inner wisdom, she's able to live her true path in the world. I hope this podcast helps you do just this. I'm happy you're here. Let's dive in. Hello. Today I have a truly wonderful conversation to share with you. And before we get to that, I do want to acknowledge that my podcast has a new look and a new name. Those of you who've been here for a while, you will notice that. And those of you who are new, welcome. 
And the reasoning behind this is that when I started this podcast back in September 2015, I named it She Talks. And the release of the podcast coincided with the release of my second book, The Book of She. And my teachings and whole orientation was really around this concept of she. And at that time, I was the only one, at least that I'm aware of, with the podcast called She Talks. Since then, so, so much has changed in my life and in the world. And I want to acknowledge that really podcasts exploded after that after I released mine and since that time. And after taking about a year and a half sabbatical from both this podcast and my work in general and coming back to it anew this past spring, I came back to discover that many, many others now have podcasts named She Talks. So maybe it's because I'm an Enneagram 4 and I like to be different (laughs) And I think more because I'm just not the same person I was who started this five years ago. And my my worldview and my teachings have, have really shifted and changed. I shifted and changed the name of this podcast as well to the Sarah Avon Stover podcast. It's unlikely, let's hope, that anyone else will have a podcast with this name. And moreover, it gives me a broader container to just hold me and my teachings as I continue to to evolve. So there you have it. And now I want to move on to introduce today's guest, whom I think you're really going to enjoy. She's a very unique, very deep woman and spiritual practitioner. Her name is Spring Washam. A little bit about Spring, she is a well-known meditation teacher, author, and visionary leader based in both California and Peru. She is the author of A Fierce Heart, Finding Strength, Courage, and Wisdom in Any Moment. Spring is considered a pioneer in bringing mindfulness-based healing practices to diverse communities. She is one of the founders and core teachers at the East Bay Meditation Center, located in downtown Oakland, California. She received extensive training by Jack Cornfield, is a member of the Teachers Council at Spirit Rock Meditation Center in Northern California, and has practiced and studied Buddhist philosophy in both the Theravada and Tibetan schools of Buddhism for the last 20 years. In addition to being a teacher, she is also a shamanic practitioner and has studied indigenous healing practices for over a decade. She is the founder of Lotus Vine Journeys, an organization that blends indigenous healing practices with Buddhist wisdom. Her writing and teacher teachings have appeared in many online journals and publications, such as Lion's Roar, Tricycle, and Belief.net. She has been a guest on many popular podcasts and radio shows and travels and teaches meditation retreats, workshops, and classes worldwide. I first came across Spring this past summer, just after George Floyd's murder, when the Black Lives Matter movement really burst into the collective field. At that time, I saw an online course Spring was offering that really intrigued me, and it's called The Dharma of Harriet Tubman, 
which we'll go into more in depth in today's conversation. So after some back and forth emails, we were finally able to coordinate our schedules and to have Spring join us today to speak about her personal visitations from Harriet Tubman, how Harriet is an archetype so needed for these times, ways that Black women are the backbone of this country, the United States, what it's like to be a biracial woman on the spiritual path, and how Spring has created diverse, accessible spiritual communities, what it's like to lead the church of Harriet Tubman, and how plant medicine plays a pivotal role in both of our lives, especially in healing trauma. Yes, there's a lot of richness in here. And at the end of our time together, Spring joked that this would be a great Thanksgiving feast for listeners, just because there's so much that we covered. So here it is, lots to feast on. And in light of that, I want to share that I wish everyone who's celebrating Thanksgiving this week a very happy holiday, especially since it's falling during these increasingly intense times. And for everyone, I'm just really grateful that we're on this journey together. I know I'm not the only one who's growing and evolving. We're all doing that together these days at rapid speed. So settle in and enjoy this very deep, very rich conversation with Spring. Welcome, Spring. It's really nice to have you here on the podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here with you. And we always start these gatherings with a personal check-in. So can you let us know where you're joining us from today and how you are at the levels of body, heart, and mind (laughs) Okay, I am in West Marin, California, about 45 minutes outside San Francisco, right near Spirit Rock Meditation Center, where I'm on the teacher's council. Um, And I could say in this moment, my body feels pretty good. You know, my body feels good. My heart has gone through a lot, like so many of us, you know, this week, election week, (laughs) as it's, you know, coming to an end. I don't know if it's really ending, but we we can say that. But it's just, it's holding it all. The, The joy, the heartbreak. I think all of us have gone through so much. And so I feel my heart is holding that. It still feels uncertain. And yet, if anything, this year has taught me how to be with uncertainty in a way that I, is so unexpected and so real, right? So applicable. So it just feels like a continuation of 2020, the energy of it's uncertain, isn't it? Yes. And here we are in the midst of that. So my heart and mind reflect that, you know, and I'm just kind of trying to be The word is equanimous, you know, have some equanimity with what's happening and trusting. Um, And and it's just everything, tears of joy and and tears of confusion and and not knowing. And then then moving forward, you know, like we all do. Keep it moving, you know, another day, new moon, new sun, got to get going again. So that's kind of where I am as a as a check-in place, I would say. Mm, that's a 
Definitely. I can relate to all of that. (laughs) (laughs) Heartsticks, so many different emotions and yes, a lot of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And I first learned about your work around the time of the George Floyd murder when anti-racism work really erupted to the surface for the the collective in the country and one could even say the world. And I, during that time, I came across your work around Harriet Tubman, which I know we'll we'll get into in a little bit. But um, I would love for you to speak a bit about the work that you do in the world And I know you're an author and a healer and a teacher. So Spring, what is your overall philosophy and approach behind your work? And and how did you get started on this path? Yeah, well, um, you know, those are big questions. So we're diving, we're not pulling back anything here. We're diving straight in. Um, And I love that, you know, and I, I guess if I was to say that my overall um, guiding force for the work that I do, the motivation, the intention is always to reduce suffering and, and to be of service in the world, you know, to be uh, carrying the lamp, to be, you know, it's, it's really connected to, in the Buddhist tradition, the bodhisattva archetype, you know, bodhi meaning awakened and sattva meaning hero, now, that doesn't mean I'm an awakened hero. It means I'm in training. <laughs> I'm like a kindergartner on, on that one, you know. But yet, that is still my motivation. I think I was kind of born like that, you know. And if uh, anyone has read my first book, I talk a lot about where I was born and difficulties and East Long Beach, Compton area, and, you know, just all the drama of inner city and poverty. And it was quite an experience. And it really, as a young person, a young child growing up, I I was always questioning, why is there so much pain? Like, even within my family, why are people so upset? Why are people screaming? I, I was very interested in the psychology um, and the understanding. I had a, a really keen observation you know, part of me that was always uh, watching. And so that led me naturally into studying psychology. And then early in my 20s, I got very involved in meditation because I wanted to understand. I knew it was a problem with our our thoughts. (laughs) I would just say that to people. It's a thinking problem. My mind is not thinking correctly. I just know it, you know, and I, I had this idea that it was I had to look at myself. So that led me on to uh, studying meditation intensively. I went to a 10-day retreat when I was very young, a uh, 10-day Vipassana course, and then kind of classic uh, meditation mindfulness course. And I was there, I met my teacher, first teacher, real teacher, Jack Cornfield. Did you do your first retreat at Spirit Rock or where, where was that? Yeah, it was it wasn't at Spirit Rock because at that point Spirit Rock hadn't been fully constructed. It was under construction. They were building out their main the main temple and so we were out in the desert in Yucca Valley, out in the there's a lot of mystical things in Yucca Valley and we were at this old retreat center and uh 
it was like 150 of us on a 10 day beginner retreat. It was perfect for me. And I remember that I was sitting and walking and finally in all that silence, um, I sort of found something and I, and I was on the retreat that I had like a, a mini awakening. Uh, and at the end of it, I really dedicated my life. I remember walking up on this hill behind the meditation hall way out in the desert. And I, I sort of ordained myself. It was like an ordination, like I will follow this path. And it was there that I heard the Buddhist teachings for the first time. But prior to that, I was practicing more in a Hindu tradition, you know, any tradition I could find. You know, there wasn't as much information as there is now. You know, there was a few books at the bookstore. And so anything about meditation, I bought and read and, and studied. Um, so this was the first time to have a teacher laying out teachings. And I just remember how um, it really resonated with me. I just, I just loved it. I felt the truth of living in the present moment and compassion and ego consciousness. It was like it answered every question I had. Um, and then in a lot of ways, it's still answering them, you know, still answering them deeper and deeper levels of awareness and understanding. I relate to that. I, I also did my first 10 day Vipassana retreat in my early twenties, but I was in the jungles of Thailand <laughs> near where Jack Cornfield was a monk. So he was, he was like one of my first teachers, but through his, through his book. Right. Right. And, and I had that same feeling of just coming home and just feeling so resonant with the Buddha Dharma and the path of the Bodhisattva. So it's deep recognition yeah, and I think that underlying it all, I think all of us have a, a recognition of, you know, it's very simple, even if you take out the Buddhist part and you just put in the Dharma, stick with that, just awareness, present moment, being with life as it is, opening to the suffering that we carry, um, there's just such a relief in it. It's like a radical honesty. I love mindfulness. It's not what you want, it's what is. Yeah. Can you can you honestly be with that? So there, there's this refreshing. And I'm curious how it's been for you, Spring, being a woman of color on the spiritual journey. I know from just a lot of retreats that I've sat in, Spirit Rock and other places, although Spirit Rock is has changed a lot and it's they're doing some really wonderful things, bringing in more diversity. But I've found over the years just a lot of a lot of whiteness in the spiritual community, at least in the United States. How has that been for you? How how is that for you? Well, I think you know I go through waves of um, feelings around it all. Um, when I was younger, as a new practitioner. Um, you know, I was living in Oakland at the time and I would leave my colorful neighborhood and then go on these retreats. <laughs> and I remember being the only person of color, the youngest person always. And, and the Dharma, how the teachers were talking, I understood it on, a, on, a, on one level, but on a heart level, not always. The examples, the stories, they were talking from their own perspective, which was very different than mine, their own lived experience. And, and we're just different as human beings. And so, so I think I suffered on a deeper levels then. And again, I, I used that motivation 
that used the pain as a motivation, I could say. And that is when I decided to focus on starting an, a community in downtown Oakland. So that's when I was very, very passionate about the East Bay Meditation Center and having a, a center right in downtown Oakland. And so I just said, okay, Spirit Rock will be there, but this is where I'll live at the Oakland Center. You know, this is where I'll build community. And this is where, and if I don't find like-minded people like myself, if I don't find that colorful community, I don't know if I could stay on the path because I felt very lonely at times. And so, and I would talk about that really openly. I think we all did at that time, but, but building the East Bay Meditation Center, co-founding it with another group of teachers it was like my saving grace because then it was like, oh, great, here we all are. And it, you know, it was like an overnight, it just, it was at the right time. It hit a wave and we just, you know, outgrew one center and then outgrew another center. And then, you know, we just kept growing. And um, there I was able to really stay and practice for almost a decade and really grow my own voice and be in community and translate the teachings in urban settings, like how How's this relevant to a mom with three kids in East Oakland? Because it is relevant. She knows suffering, you know. And so, how do I how to, and freedom, you know, suffering and freedom. So, so that is what I tend to do. Is when something's not working, is that gets my creative juices going. And then you you've really become a trailblazer in this way. And you know, I, I read in your bio that the East Bay Meditation Center is one of the most diverse and accessible meditation centers in the U.S. And I know that part of that is probably due to the fact that Oakland is such a colorful, progressive, diverse place. Uh, but I'm curious, what, what do you think really contributed to, to making it that way, to making it a place where, where so many people could feel welcomed and find accessibility in the Dharma yeah, well, one thing is that we try to eliminate all the barriers to people coming to groups. Like, you know, you join a group, there's a lot of outside barriers and internal barriers, right? So one was finances. It's all run on generosity-based economics, the gift economy. So there was no charge. People donated what they wanted, which was radical. And I, I love the whole methodology of the gift economy. That's how you probably went to your 10-day Vipassana retreat in Thailand. That's how Goenka retreats, other Vipassana retreats and run around the world is that you pay what you can. You know, you pay it forward when you're done, if possible, or someone else pays for you. So I was a huge advocate of that model. So that was one thing we did was we took away any potential of people's um, not being able to afford to meditate, a meditation course, a meditation class, a workshop. And then I think when we were opening, we were extremely strategic. We had a night for people of color. We had a night for LGBTQI. We had a night for people with disabilities. We had our all people sangha. We started to have affinity groups, which initially people attacked us. Like, oh, you're being, you know, uh, you're, you're not, you're, you're, you know, exclusive by having these groups. And we were just saying, well, we're just actually trying to create safety 
You know, we noticed that when we said a people of color meditation class, all the people of color came, <laughs> you know, and it, it was like a, just like if you say, this is a woman's group and then all the women come, you know, you don't usually have men trying to get into that or vice versa, but somehow when we group people by race or sexual orientation, it's more controversial. So initially we had some controversy with communities, but then, you know, we, we just did what we knew we wanted to do. We, and we were, we were also teachers of color at the beginning. It was just a core group of us, Larry Yang, who's a wonderful teacher, myself, some other people. And um, we just did what was in our heart to do. We were all well-trained. We had studied, we had traveled, we'd been in teacher trainings. And so it was time for just a new voice and a new style. And so I think it was the New York Times that did an interview with us and then named us the most you know, diverse retreat center on the planet, I think something. So it's kind of stuck, but I'm sure there's other places that are growing, but we'll take it. We're, we're, it's pretty eclectic in there. I mean, we had an open door policy and everybody would come in and it was something so fun about that to me and exciting and, and just, it blew all my stereotypes of who was a practitioner you know, you'd see someone coming in and their pants would be sagging and they would, you know, you're, you're looking for people, you know, you're so trained to just see people in yoga journal covers or, you know, and, and then they would be so into mindfulness, you know, and you'd be like, wow, you, you don't have, you're so outside of the stereotype. I love it. And deep and profound. So it would, it would blow a lot of my assumptions. And I think that's what allowed us to be, um, so successful is we hit a we hit a movement at the right time, and then Oakland being a place for um, a sort of a, a philosophy of awareness and engagement. It was it's the community was right for it. I'm sure other communities are as well, but Oakland is a particular <laughs> it's a particular flavor. Yes. And are you still involved with the East Bay Meditation Center? Yes, I'm still involved. I feel more like I'm like the grandmother now because we have trained all these new teachers and I've gone on to start other organizations and travel around the world and, and, but I still fundraise. I still have a, a class coming up, you know, I still drop in and I still support the overall, you know, it's like, they're one of my candles lit, but we have such great leadership right now. It's all community led. It's all organized by the people. It's a whole different model of leadership too. It's a collective. Um, it's not really based on any one teacher, but I feel like I just always find so much joy in it. Yeah. So I'll always be supporting it as, you know, fundraising endlessly. And, uh, and they're doing great right now. They actually have really weathered the storm. And I think they'll, we'll come out of it stronger and hopefully buy a building at, at the end. And yeah, so there's a lot of uh, good things happening there. I'm happy to hear that. It sounds like a special place. <laughs> it is. It's very... Yeah, it's a one of a kind, you know, I could say that for sure. And we we were speaking right before we, we went live about, you know, the listeners can't can't see you, but I see behind you this beautiful painting of Harriet Tubman that was seemed like it was the cover art for your your course about her. Can you speak about the inspiration behind offering this course around I think it was called the Dharma of Harriet Tubman. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, 
Um, it was in May where it was a few days before George Floyd died. And there was a series of really weird things that happened. You know, we, my sister and I had one of those Karen experiences where they talk about a Karen, you know, we were like harassed while we're just walking, you know, and, and, and it, it just started to dawn on me like, what is going on? You know? And, and then after the George Floyd death, um, there was all three deaths, Priyana Taylor's, Ahmaud Aubrey, you know, um, there was several things that led up to that. But I, too, I wasn't even really supposed to be living in this country. I was supposed to be at that time in Peru. But as we know, everybody's calendars got washed out, you know, and so I found myself back in the Bay Area where usually I would be in South America. And, um, you know, I was in a transitional housing situation. And it was just really weird. And I, I remember starting to have terrible nightmares every night. And then I started to have a series of dreams where Harriet, I'd be running down dark roads and Harriet would be pulling me out. And I started to feel the spirit of Harriet Tubman. Now I hadn't been a, a Harriet Tubman devotee before that. I mean, I'd studied her in school and I'd seen a movie and was like, yeah, Harriet. It wasn't someone that I had images on my walls, right? It wasn't, you know, and now I started to have all these incredible visionary dreams of her leading me and helping me. And I felt the spirit of her around me. And so I got inspired. I said, well, why don't I do a class called the Dharma of Harriet Tubman? I'll just do a little five-week course. And then I put it out in the class within you know, 10 days, it sold 600, 700 tickets. And so I realized, wow, there's a lot of interest in this. And then we had hundreds of people on our Zoom class and there was so much energy around it. And now my publisher came on and asked me to write a book. So now I'm writing a book about uh, the Dharma of Harriet. And, uh, and it's just been my guiding light right now, because when I get pulled into the the sorrows of the racism and the hatred and the delusion. I remember what all Harriet Tubman went through in her life, born a slave, running away, then becoming a great Bodhisattva underground conductor, then a military general, you know, then, you know, it's like her life was so um, profound. So for me, Harriet Tubman has been a really beautiful guiding light for me to focus on and talk about her life. And so our, our Sunday five-week class turned into, everyone kept saying, this is church, because we'd play gospel music. So we just went on and said, the church of Harriet. And I just keep going, okay, is this ever going to end? And we have so many people, and then it never seems to want to stop. So every Sunday, church of Harriet Tubman, where I give stories to talk about her life, other people on the Underground Railroad, Sojourner Truth, Frederick Douglass. All these, we talk about the life and legacy of all these people who uh, fought and died for freedom. It's very, very connected to even the election, even Philadelphia, even Atlanta. You know, these are historical places that, you know, operated the Underground Railroad. And it's just so interesting to see. It feels really relevant right now, these uh, ancestors of ours and, and Harriet. She's everywhere right now. People are putting up murals of her. She was supposed to be on the $20 bill, but they, you know, canceled that, the current administration. <laughs> but, but her spirit is out 
everybody's care. I've seen people with shirts and refer- referencing Harriet. So I feel like she's somehow her spirit has come back for this time. And um, it may be because there's a battle. She lived through a civil war, hmm, fought for the union, of course. Um, so let's see. But I, I find great inspiration because whenever I think, oh, this is too hard, I think of all the things Harriet did. And then I get up, head out again, like, you could do it, honey, your ancestors, you know. And so I, and people seem to be very inspired by that. So it's an uplifting. It's meant to inspire people every Sunday. It sounds very inspiring. And I'm curious, when you first started to feel Harriet's presence, so that's, a, that's a very feminine, spiritual experience. You know, whether your, yes. your gender is, is that, that receptivity to, to a, an otherworldly presence, to an ancestral presence, a, a spirit presence, what, how, how did that happen for you? Well, I've always had a little bit. I mean, one of the things that I do do is I'm a very, I'm a shamanic practitioner and I've always known, you know, just living in the jungle six months a year with Shipibos, I have this way of navigating, I could say our multidimensional world, right? Um, energetically, I, I've always known that even with meditation, I could uh, very much enter into jhanic states. I had this uh, just a way of um, being able to access multiple energies and, you know, and also stay very grounded. You know, I'm a very grounded person. I'm in a human form. However, um, I think because I have this openness, there's a door open here that um, I feel that I was able through in first in the dream state and then in a waking state to be able to feel the presence of Harriet Tubman. And then to be able to have, um, so the book that I'm writing are these sessions with Harriet where there's a, so it's kind of a little bit channeled. Like I ask a question and then I get a download. I ask a question and then I get a download. So it'll, it'll sort of be in this free form channeled conversation about 2020, 2021, and, you know, her interpretation of it now. But um, it's very mystical. This is my first experience like this profound type of connection. Um, You know, the stuff like, again, stuff like this happens when I'm working in the jungle in Peru and I'm doing my shamanic work. I have all kinds of beautiful experiences, which are normal and mystical. If you're open to that kind of thing, we live in a world of spirit. <laughs> so, but this connection with Harriet has been particularly profound. Um, and it's, it's like, it's a different level of the connection. And, and I just stay open. I just keep staying open in a meditative state when I'm out walking. And I just keep praying like, yeah, may all my ancestors, all of our greatest ancestors, may you come and share with me and help me to write and to share what, what needs to be said. So Harriet gives me a lot of energy and people say that in the class, they get filled up with a courage. She kind of is a, she delivers courage to people because that's really what's needed right now is sort of this fierce heart, courageousness to stand up, to keep moving, to, you know, cause we can get paralyzed in fear. You know, we're, there's a battle going on out here. You know, and and it's a bully battle. It's a battle of, you know, we'll attack you. It's always been there. 
but now it's just in plain sight for everyone to see. So, so Hera gives me a lot of courage. She reminds me of how strong I am. And so, um, so that's a little bit about that. It's very mystical and that I'll be writing all about this in the book, how it happened, where I was. <laughs> and also me being overwhelmed, like um, this is more than what I signed on for today. I, you know, especially with the book, I'm like, Harriet, I can't write a book about you. I'm not a historian. I'm not even a real writer. You know, I always try to get out of books by saying I'm not a writer, but then I have to. Hey, house books coming online, you know, that I'm supposed to be finishing. So I guess I am in some way. I surrender to it. <laughs> it sounds like it's going to be a great book. I hope so. I certainly don't want to mess up the Harriet Tubman book. That's for sure. When someone picks it up, they're going to want to have that juice. What are some of the key pieces of this? dharma of harriet tubman that she's bringing through you right now around 2020 2021 that you feel would be relevant to share with our audience today i think that the first thing is a deep abiding sense of integrity right and one of the things is also Um, I think one of the things that has been unexpected for me about what has been coming through is the integrity part and the part about women. You know, Harriet was in a way um, the latter years, she was always a feminist, I would say, radical. But learning about the second part of her life, we actually only usually hear about the part of her life where she was a conductor on the underground where she would lead these missions for 10 years, you know, and do these trips all the time that were really, I mean, I'll write about that because they were super natural. Um, but then we go on to the, the second part and third part of her life. Um, she was like the first woman to actually be a general and lead a mission. And there's something about her breaking boundaries as a woman. And she was only five feet tall and 100 pounds. You know, I mean, this was not a, you know, this, this is somebody kind of frail, you know, but had this. So there's something that's starting to turn into a little bit of a feminist manifesto of power and strength. And aren't we seeing that right now? We're seeing a lot of strong black women being at the forefront of democracy right now. Right. Denouncing. Um, you know, in the face of voter oppression and racism and so much delusion. We're seeing, seeing the backbone of the African-American woman. Um, and I think Harriet really is that. You know, she had a lot of friends in her life, Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Staten. All of these people were uh, her friends and she fought for that. So there's there's something about the feminine rising that we need to have the feminine voices rising right now. And for us to stay scared and silent is the pattern, right? We don't speak out. We don't, we don't say what we know to be right publicly, right? And I think that this is the time where there is a lot of standing up that's needed. It's not just enough to meditate right now. There's some extra that's needed. And I keep feeling that even in my Buddhist communities, I said, it's not enough everyone just to pray. There's something else that we need to be doing. There's, some, there's a movement. It's a, 
it's a marching forward and, and a standing with. And so I think what Harriet would say right now is for us to be standing up for truth in a more profound way, standing up for, for the black women, the mothers of those, you know, George Floyd, of Breonna Taylor, they have mothers and grandmothers. And so there's, there's something about uniting more. And I think we saw that in the election. You know, we saw this movement, but it's not done. That was one. Getting started. It's getting started. And there's going to be a battle now, as we see. There was no surrender here, <laughs> you know, and now it's like, oh, no. We thought it was done, right? We always wanted it to be over. We always go, okay, we're done now. We, we, it's over. It's like, no, friends. And so I would, I would think that women can turn the tide on the planet, um, but we just have to find the strength and the courage. And I think Harriet, the book, ultimately the Dharma will be this radical book about equality and leadership and breaking the boundaries of our own conditioning about what the feminine is, what's possible. And the feminine is such a bridge between worlds and even just, just the physiology of our bodies speaks that. And it's like, like you shared, it's, it's finding this, this deep courage that comes from, that comes from the other realms that comes from like a deep faith that Mm. you're follow that in this realm, even through tremendous obstacles and fear and even things that seem impossible, you know, a five foot, a hundred pound woman leading the underground railroad. Yeah. Yeah. And leading people on 600 mile treks through the dark herself, you know, as the guide and they're depending on her. Many people depended on her to get them through to the other end. She was famous for saying, I never lost the passenger. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh, yeah, and, and also just everything she did was groundbreaking. And they've tried to diminish that, you know. That's part of why so many biographies are coming out now. It's like, no, here's the deep untold story. Because we only get one version, right? We get the male, <laughs> white, we get the version of the, the conqueror of the, you know. And that's okay. That's where we are. That's where we, but now there's just, yeah, so there's something about that. And then something about this deep integrity, when you know something is right in your heart, you must speak out, right? Because there's a lot of people that feel so uncomfortable about what's happening on all sides, red, blue, about this is cruelty. Is this not true? Is this what I'm seeing? And they're not, they're just going along with it. And so there is something that the Dharma is asking us to, you know, when I think about um, the stories of in, in Tibet, where Tibetan monks were and nuns were tortured and, at, and told to denounce their views. They would die not denouncing them. They would say, no, I'm not going to denounce the Buddha. I'm not going to denounce my teacher, the Dalai Lama, you know, and, and would be beaten to death, right? And, they're, and, and not saying that we have to do that here, but there's something about integrity and standing up for what's right. And I would ask you know, and I think a lot of brown, brown indigenous people are asking that from the white community. It's not just enough that you come over and say, hi, you love us, but there's something you have to put on, stand up tall with us. You know, I think that's the ask. And I think in a lot of ways, that will probably be Harriet's message to stand really for what you believe, because I believe there is a moral majority in this country, um, even 
people who may have voted for Trump may not have done it wholeheartedly. They might have thought, well, I don't know, or the economy, but in their hearts, they're, they're conflicted. And so I would speak to those people too, like, you know, they're conflicted with him as a human being. Yeah. Yeah, there's an African proverb that has long been just kind of one of my mottos. It's when you pray, move your feet. And these times are asking us to, like you said, not just meditate, not just do our spiritual practice, but really get on the court and, um, and live our values in a, in a much, much deeper, much more active way. Yeah, because I think if we don't, our message will be buried under the loud speaker of this other energy, unless we do have to push back on it. There is a kind of pushing that has to happen. And I don't think we're used to that, you know, and not so blatant, <laughs> you know, now it's just like blatant. And so unless everyone stands up and push back and educate each other and reach out to each other and, 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 you know, there will be a sort of crushing energy that comes with this. It tries to snuff out something here. And so there is that. Yeah, we all, and it's a challenge for people who stay quiet and say, well, I don't, this is political. I don't want to get into it, but we have to think of this as more as human rights. Yeah. It's not politics. There's human lives on the line, you know, and there's real justice on the line, you know, and, and it's complex right now because everyone says they know the truth, you know, and, it could be very different realities we're all in. So it's a challenge, but, but whatever your reality is, you know, um, stand up, you know, for what you believe is right. How is it for you to see Kamala Harris, the first, not only the first woman, but also the first woman of color as our vice president elect? I know I was just so moved hearing her, her speech the other night uh, along with Joe Biden's and just feeling feeling a renewed hope, knowing we have a long way to go <laughs> and feeling like <laughs> a step in the right direction. How, how is that for you? You know, I really gave myself that whole day to celebrate. I knew that this, the fact that Joe Biden and Kamala won was going to trigger <laughs> all this joy and this just hysteria from the other side. But, you know, there is this Black woman standing there and they tried so hard to squelch that out right to oppress that to demean that to to you know and so the fact that it rose up right there in prime time world stage is something you know there is something really magical about this time too like incredible I mean it really is a story here 2020 and the last five years and maybe the last 10 has just been this incredible storyline and so I I just felt so much hope and I felt proud of her and proud of all of us. You know, it was a victory for uh, the world. It wasn't just me personally. Yes, I'm a biracial woman. I really understand her background, you know, but at the same time, it felt like a win for India. It felt like a win for all these kids in the, across the world that will look and see. And again, that feminine movement into power, into into being perceived as a leader into there's a movement of that. She's closer and closer and closer. We keep, you know, going, it's like a climb. And so for the feminine, that was a, a huge push forward. So it was both, you know, 
And the irony is there, you know, it's like you try to squelch something and it just grows. You try to run for something, it chases you faster. You know, you try to suppress and it just, you know, so let's just keep on going. She's, to me, she's definitely the right person for the job. She's, she signed on for a fight even when she ran for presidency. She knows what she's getting into. She has no blinders on and she's ready and that's courage. She's ready. She's taking on some fierce energies here. <laughs> With a lot and, of softness as well. Yeah. And really stepping in with a lot of feminine energy, which which I think is is new. Yeah, she had her high heels on and her hair, and she's beautiful, you know, physically. And she had that beautiful smile. And yeah, yeah, she wasn't coming in kind of like, you know, a masculine force of attack and what we've been seeing. Not at all. She really came in with this joy. And um, and I hope she she does that, keeps that, and then behind the scenes, it unleashes all of her power and ways to push back against things and to get things done and to correct things that are in, unjust. And yeah, I think we're watching something very historical with the both of them. And let's see. But I, I did appreciate her feminine softness and knowing, you know, there's a prosecutor under there. <laughs> Is that that backbone that you- yeah there's that fierceness that just under it and she's you there's no way you would have signed on to that unless you were ready to battle it out I mean they know Donald Trump really well right now they know that community they know the machine and so to me the the exciting thing is that she was so excited to step into those shoes and walk across that stage that says a lot about her own personal courage it does it does and I want to speak a little bit about, you know, you mentioned that normally in non-COVID times, you live for half the year in the jungles of Peru doing shamanic work. And I know that sometimes you lead journeys down there as well. Can you, and I think that's like a missing piece of the puzzle here in terms of who you are and the presence that you're bringing on the planet right now. Can you speak a little bit about that influence? Yeah, I mean, I did start, uh, I started going to the jungle about 14 years ago, and I started working with plants. I was introduced to it by a friend of mine who's a psychologist to heal trauma. I had a very traumatic childhood growing up, and I'm not very connected to my family of origin, um, and just because there's just so many challenges. I tried, I really did, and so there was just so much happening, and so as I Later on, when I was meditating and going on long retreats, all this unprocessed trauma would come up. And now we know a lot about trauma. As meditation teachers in our community, we know how to work with trauma in a totally different way. Um, But I I got interested in modalities to heal PTSD, the effects of sexual abuse and trauma and all these things. And so... I was introduced to plant medicine here in California, and then I got very interested in it and decided to go to the jungle. And medicine, do you mean ayahuasca? Or yeah. So wow. my first my first introduction was through ayahuasca, and um, I had fallen apart on a three month retreat, and I had all this trauma. I was doing a, a concentration practice with my main teacher, Joseph Goldstein, one of the best 
meditation mindfulness teachers in the country. And I was doing a three month intensive in the forest and I just completely fell apart. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I was just shaking. I didn't realize then I was disassociated completely from my body. And um, I realized then that meditation couldn't go past that point. Like I had a, I was plateaued. Like until I could meet that in a different way, I couldn't really move forward. So I went back to California. Luckily, I had this amazing friend who was a clinical psychologist who had a similar background than mine, different but similar. Um, She invited me. She said, why don't you come to this ceremony? This is going to sound really crazy, but we're going to drink this plant that this vine that grows in the jungle. But I was so open. I mean, I, when you're when you're down and out, you're like, I'll swim with dolphins. I'll go here to get a blessing. I'll eat this. I'll, I'll lay here. You know, I was so I had no faith in it. I was like, OK, if you say this is going to help, give me the shaman. Give me I need something. You know, I was so this, I was just like in a state that I couldn't understand about it was the first time I'd entered a place where I couldn't be with it. I couldn't go sit on the cushion. When I sat down, it made it worse, you know, and it, it wasn't a good state to be in. I'd already opened our center. I was supposed to be a teacher. And here I was falling apart, you know. And so I thought, oh, my God, I have responsibilities. I can't. This is not good, you know. So I I ended up having my first introduction to ayahuasca and it was the most profound night of my whole life. I mean, I learned more in those eight hours than I had in years. And so I realized then that I I wanted to go to the jungle and understand how it was used at its source. And so that started me on like secret missions. I guess I could, I kept it kind of secretive because it was controversial. It still is. And I definitely understand that. You know, it's not something I advocate openly. It's something that is very, um, you know, it's a very powerful thing, I'd say, with ayahuasca. Other plants are getting more mainstream. But so, yeah, I started going to the jungle and then I would spend one or two months a year there living with Shipibo women. I love the Shipibo women. I, I felt a mistrust with some of the men that I met down there. So I felt like the Shipibo indigenous women, maestras. I really related to them and I felt so safe and cozy and uh, did some very powerful work, transformative, really life-changing. And then at one point I decided to live with them for a year and really study like an apprenticeship. And that's what I did. It sounds crazy to think I lived in the jungle with no electricity and no water and no, (laughs) we had water, but you know, we went showered in the river and you know, that kind of stuff. But it was glorious. When you lived with them for a year? What's that? How old were you when you did that? This was 2014 to 2015. So not that many years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Not not too many years ago. And I loved it. It was the best year of my life, actually. I, I really am a jungle spirit. I can live in a rainforest very easily. You know, I'm my energy and I, I don't know somehow it just really works on my system. Um, And then when I got back from there, I decided to start my organization because I was so steeped in the Buddhist community, but I felt like people were really plateauing and, and there's a way that we can get stuck and not move forward. And there's ways that we can use mindfulness, not to really open, but to actually disconnect. When I started to see this pattern happening 
And uh, people would have these profound openings maybe and they would say, in the 60s, I had this, you know, they would tell me stories and then for 20 years, nothing. They would say, I saw the same patterns and I started to see these blocks in people's hearts, especially in the Western model, you know, Western mind, uh, Western communities. And so, so I started Lotus Mind Journeys, which takes people so we do 14-day Buddhist space, or the first Buddhist space ever plant medicine retreat. And it's that it had controversy. I don't think I'll ever escape that. But I just really embrace it. You know, I, I understand. It's not for everybody. But those that it's for can be life-changing. You know, it's really incredible work. I think it's such it's such a smart combination. And you're right, it is, it is serious medicine. And, but for those who are ready for it, and when you're with the right guides, and in the right kind of setting, it's tremendous for, for healing trauma. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's been a big part of my path that I haven't spoken about that much publicly. Mm -hmm. Ayahuasca, I haven't done it in maybe about 12 years, but for prior to that, there was a, there was a stretch of time when I did it quite a bit. And, and now it's more, I do more um, MDMA and psilocybin. Mm. Like Mm. there's new material that needs to be processed or, um, you know, traumas that are being unearthed. And it's such a great complement to contemplative practice because like you said, it just, it brings you into your heart. It helps to clear those blocks in the heart. And I feel like the Western mind is so complicated, <laughs> so tangled that it's just helps us to bypass the, the mind, the conceptual mind. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it's, it, it's so powerful and it's, it truly is lasting results, you know, with these things. I, I mean, it was life-changing for me on so many levels and our minds are so tingly and we get in our way and there's so much confusion and delusion. And um, yeah, sometimes these plants can be really, really helpful. And, and some people only do it once in a lifetime. And have that as their, I only, I had ran into a woman said, I only need to do it one time, change everything. I'm still integrating that. I'm, it was like 20 years. Like, I'm like, wow. You know, and then, and then other people go to retreat once a year as like a tuna. Um, and, and you'll know the plan is, it's a doctor. It'll tell you what you need. You know, it'll help you decide. Yeah, you're good for now. Go try this or yeah, you need to come back tomorrow, you know, and it's just, it's just, there's an intelligence that we're working with here. We're working with Gaian energy, Gaian intelligence, wisdom of the earth consciousness, which is very different than the Western analytical mind, you know? And it brings me back to that word integrity that you introduced at the start. It's, you know, my experience with these medicines is it, it, it brings me into, into deep, true integrity. Yes. Alignment mechanism. Oh, that's really alignment. That's really what it it aligns everything. And where we're out of integrity, man, it hurts, right? Ayahuasca can be something to like an ego crusher and show us where we're totally unconscious and wake that part up and say, you need to, you know, sort out all these things and get back to the, get and back to the work that can be so hard is you see all these things 
about, or I see all these things about where I'm out of alignment. And then after the journey, I need to take action on those things. Yeah. Integration from anything is hard and you, and, and also great spiritual experiences. Other times you can go on a retreat and have an awakening experience and then you have to go home and clean your house and integrate it where things aren't. It's very similar. We, when we every time we have an expanded consciousness where we see something wakes up, you know, we, then we have to go into our life, which often is out of alignment. It doesn't depict that we're in the wacky relationship. We're not paying that bill properly. We're not, you know, we haven't dealt with this person that we know we need to deal with and get clear with, you know, we, we have all this like kind of dirty laundry in all the corners, you know? And so the plants do have a way of this radical alignment with deep truth and, and also soul mission work. I feel like the plants, so many of my clients just change their lives dramatically. You know, within a year, I'm like, wow, you were a lawyer in Dubai and now you're bought this property and you're teaching permaculture. And then you have a beard and you're naked and you're never been happier, you know, on your land. There is a kind of reset button back into a sense of interconnectedness, which I feel like we are in dire need of my motivation this year, 2021, new year coming up, 2021, 2022, is to really expand on my retreats and to focus on interconnectedness because that is how things have gotten so mixed up right now. We don't, it's so compartmentalized. Oh, I, I hate this person, but I like that I get a tax break, right? We don't see, it's like, what? How can you, you know, we live in these like, no, it's all me, right? It's about my life. So What I love about the plants is that they can teach this profound interconnectedness that's not mental. It goes into the cellular level, like you become one with the jungle, one with the land, one with the music, one with the song, one with the water. And so I feel that that kind of rapid accelerated insight is needed. And, and that's why I'm working with plants right now, working with them again, because we need to wake up a little bit faster now. And so I just start talking about it more publicly because I'm like, I have to. Important too. I agree. I agree. Because if, if, if there are tools like this that mm-hmm. can help us so much, and like you said, expedite the process without blowing us out, you know, it needs to be done safely. Yes. Why not use those tools? Yeah, that's kind of how I feel too. And it's safely with integrity. And and that's part of the reason why I started my own organization because I knew how it should be done. I saw what was missing in all these other places. I was like, yeah, they really need to fix that. You know, it's a little wild. And Peru is the wild west. I've been in a lot of situations down there. I learned from them, but geez, it was like Star Wars, you know, and I got out of it. You know, sometimes you just have to learn. Okay. You know, after many years, I really know what's needed and what's not. (laughs) And so the Dharma is definitely needed every throughout each phase of the journey, you know, so, so I'm really happy with those kinds of um, practices, blending them. And Spring, what is your daily practice like now? What's helping Mm. these days? You know, what has really been the most important practice is my walking practice. Like every day, I'm really lucky to be in West Marin. It's really pretty. I've lived in this area on and off as a teacher at Spirit Rock. I used to come lead retreats and I would find all these trails 
for me, walking outside for long periods, like an hour and a half, two hour walks has felt grounding, has felt, it's almost just like I do this spiritual walk. And I, I was telling friends recently, like, I really want to go on one of those long, long walkabouts, you know, walking. I don't know if it's just hitting the feet on the ground, just foot after it's like this movement. And maybe because I can't go anywhere, that somehow when I'm walking outside on the earth, I feel like I'm moving forward. There's something about my walking practice that's taken on a whole other level. So I would say that is an essential ingredient every day. If I miss a day of walking, I really feel it. You know, now it's getting a little cold, so I'm bundling up. It's not as fun, you know, as when it's, you know, 75, you know, and I'm walking, but I'm still going to bundle up and go out. And then other practices that are, are really, really meaningful is journaling and is my compassion practice, you Com know, and just keep coming back. Self and for others or what is that compassion practice? Yeah. Well, you know, it's like here in California, we just battle through all these fires. So it's like compassion from the earth. Everything looks so dry. We haven't had any rain. And ever since, I, I mean, I've been back over in this particular area since April. There's only been like one day of rain. So this dryness of the land, this kind of, um, so it's almost like it's just compassion for everything. The fires, the people you know, that lost homes, um, people who are having coronavirus and their families and the economics. It's, I kind of, it just feels like a global compassion. And for myself, that I'm witnessing it. And I'm also, I feel sad by it, you know? So it just, it's just kind of like a universal compassion for this year. And it's not, it doesn't mean that there's not amazing things happening because there's all kinds of breakthroughs too. You know, there's a lot of, you know, I would, I would say there's a crack in the matrix right now, too. And for those who are in alignment, there's a door open. You can make some real progress here. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's but walking, I would say that has been my saving grace. I relate to that. I'm, I've been walking every day as well. And here in Colorado, there's snow outside and it's it's harder to get out. When, when yes. <laughs> Mm -hmm. yeah and what is what is your current edge on your spiritual journey right now my edge where is my edge I would say a certain amount is just the discipline I notice that I'm distracted a lot you know, and it's like I have a lot of projects and sometimes I go through weeks where I just don't want to focus on it, you know, and I have employees and I have, and there's just a part of my mind that just gets, if I, if I don't exert a lot of effort, it gets lost in the worries of the world, you know, and I think it's just all of it, the COVID, the election, the, you know, it was just so many things like <laughs> converging at the same time. So I think for me is that I'm a Capricorn. I'm a double Capricorn. They're known for discipline and the mountain goat that never stops walking up the mountain. And, and I, I've lost a little of that right now. And I think right now I keep trying to find ways to get 
you know, every day I'm like, okay, back on the program, back on the program. And I'm like, what is the program again? Right. Bodhisattva activities. It's like every day I had to make a lot of effort to say back on the program, back on the program, you know, that I usually I have a lot more discipline, but with my employees scattered and people that close to me sick with just not Corona, but ailments, it's just kind of like the uncertainty has crept into the ability to focus for me right now. I've noticed that. So that's like my edge. And that includes also deep sitting practice. I haven't been able to do as much of that as I wanted to in the last month or two. So I think every day it's like begin again, yes. you know, like reset. <laughs> that's like the byproduct of when you pray, move your feet. It's like, there's a lot happening and you need to, we, need, we still need to keep this certain uh, percentage of our attention focused inward. Yes. And that I'm finding is a little bit challenging with so many moving parts and, and, and not being settled, you know, being in a temporary house, not, you know, starting businesses back up for a lot of us who are in the retreat world. We're like, okay, <laughs> you know, we're trying to map out 2021, you know, we do groups, you know, so that's also where there's this constant feeling of it's uncertain and we just kind of can't let that get away too much and keep coming home. So I need, I need to work on a little bit more structure, I think. And how can people find you if they want to learn more? And are there any particular things that you have coming up in the next like one to three months that you want to let listeners, listeners know about? Well, I mean, they can find me. The best place is my website. I think it's kind of a one-stop shop. And I have also a YouTube channel and I have um, social media. They can find me there. Um, they can learn about the work I'm doing in Peru next year. All of that they can kind of find through my through my website. I'll put um, that link in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. And, and people can also, if they are interested in this merger of Buddha Dharma and social justice, join my Sunday church. But right now that's going strong. It's a donation-based church, of course, like any church would be. So you can just log on and, you know, you can see that all on my website as well. And um, I think for right now, it's also developing. I will have some workshops coming up on working skillfully with plant medicine, you know, the precepts and pitfalls and all of that I can talk about. So I will be doing some things coming up where I'll be having specific conversations about what that looks like, how to work with trauma, you know, more education about it, indigenous wisdom, you know, um, just trying to help people understand just the, the lay of the land when we talk about plants and healing with plants, what, what that means versus psychedelic. I don't usually use that term. It's not really one Shipibos use. Yeah. So we just kind of learning about stuff. So just more education about plants, herbs, healing with plants. From from kale to ayahuasca to, you know, it's all plants, you know, it's like, okay, let's talk about healing with nature. So I'll be doing a bunch of more on that coming up. That feels really, as we're moving into 2021, I feel like that big shift around earth consciousness is going to come much more into play, you know. Great spring. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today and for all this important work that you're sharing with the world right now. 
Uh, thank you. And you as well. Thank you for creating this opportunity to, to have voices and have these dialogues and share together. And yeah, it's been really great meeting you and, and all your beautiful work as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me and for taking this time out for yourself. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd be very grateful if you'd take a moment to rate and review this podcast. That way, other women who might enjoy it can better find it. Also, don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. And until next time, I'm sending you my heartfelt support.